Welcome back to the My Therapy Podcast. My name is Justin Dickey. This is Friday, March 9th, 2018. Uh, Welcome back to you and welcome back to me. A lot has happened over the past 10 days or so. I haven't uh, haven't done this in a while and want to start off by saying I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I thought this was helping me and people have told me this helps them. The, the podcast, by talking about this, it helps eliminate the stigma around mental illness and it creates conversations that weren't had before. It makes me feel good to do this, but obviously it's not the answer. I'm going to continue to do this, but I'm not going to act like this is going to fix me. I'm just going to share my story and hope it helps someone. I've been in the hospital for the past, I don't know, I don't know how many days it's been. It's been a while. It's been over a week. I've tried to remain positive, if that makes any sense. I don't know if it makes sense. I don't know if I have remained tried to remain positive to be honest I've just gotten it got so bad my desire to kill myself that I had to be hospitalized until I'm better we're going to talk about that in today's podcast we'll see how it goes Caitlin's going to join me here and uh, we'll try to bring you up to date in the most raw in real way possible not going to sugarcoat it this isn't going to be an easy one here we go at my phone today's March 9th what tomorrow is 13 years what do you got planned I don't have anything planned yet but I'm in the process we found out this morning that I was allowed to go home for the weekend I gotta stay the nights in the hospital but I'm going to be home for the weekend, so Caitlin's kind of been put on the spot, and I'm too emotionally drained to do anything about this right now. So if you want to celebrate, it's on you, bud. Yeah, I think we, we said to, well, we said after we got married we weren't going to celebrate this date anymore. If, no, how it's the, it's the anniversary of us going on our first date back when we were little babies. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to let it go, so we're going to do something tomorrow. Yeah. Anyway, nice little bow on this fiasco i'm trying not to swear i really want to swear i'm not going to okay so try to get closer to the mic here sharing a mic Uh, that's another kettle of fish bought a couple of mics turned out that you can't use two mics that are the same on usb had to send one back to the manufacturer to get it 
programmed or something so I'd be able to use it. So we're waiting for that. So Caitlin, I'm using my mic. That's okay. I like being close to you. Yeah. All right. So to recap episode eight, we brought everybody up to speed, I guess, on my initial hospitalization. So it was Friday. Do you know the date? It was two weeks ago today. 23rd, I believe. Okay. It was two weeks ago today. Mm -hmm. Where was it? Three, two. Two. Two weeks ago today. We went to Joseph Brand Hospital. Um, I got really upset and suicidal. And a couple weeks before, we had had another episode where we didn't do anything about it. And this time we would. We called the coastline in Halton. That's the crisis uh, support line. Needed to know what to do. They told us go to the emergency. We went to the emergency at Joseph Brand Hospital. They admitted us quickly. I stayed the night there. The uh, amazing psychiatrist that we dealt with there gave us the option that I could either stay there and be admitted. This was on Saturday afternoon at this point. We stay there and be admitted. He changed all my medications. Stay there and be admitted, or I could go home, but I had to promise him that I'd come back if I needed to, if I felt that I was a harm to myself. Yep. So our decision at that time was to go home, and on the last podcast I expressed... I don't know how to put it, but I I said that I would go back to the hospital. I felt comfortable going back to the hospital if I needed to. Well, Sunday we did that podcast. Monday was NHL trade deadline. And I make every effort to watch that ridiculous amount of TV every year. For what reason, I'm not sure, because they don't make any trades for hours. Mm-hmm. It's not until 3 o'clock that any trades come in, but I sat there from 8 a.m. till 3 to watch that. And throughout the day, I was nervous about Caitlin going back to work. She had taken Monday off, and I felt at ease with that, that I wasn't alone. Because I was very, I was still reeling a little bit from Friday. So as the day wore on, I, it just started to eat at me like, oh, Caitlin's going back to work tomorrow, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle it. Had a very, uh, very close, I'm going to call he or she a confidant to not disclose identities, but uh, I'm going to refer to them as they called me early afternoon on Monday and I expressed my concern that I didn't know if I felt safe by myself and they said I'll call you again later called like three hours later and I said I think I gotta go back to the hospital I'm scared we're gonna edit out any crying just as a heads up. You said raw. Yeah, I know. It's maybe too raw. Um, anyway. Went back to the hospital Monday night. Yeah. That was uh, a more enduring process 
this time around. The first time I went on Friday night, we were, I would say we were in, from the time that we went to triage to being into the emergency psych holding area mm-hmm. for the night was maybe a half an hour. Yeah, half an hour, 45 minutes at the very, very most. Something like that. And this time, uh, for whatever reason, whether they were busier or I was seen as less of a priority, I don't know. Yeah, but... it definitely was busier. Um, and some of the nurses kind of made the comments that Monday nights are like a really busy night for them. Which is bizarre. Like, I don't know why the day of the week would dictate when yeah. it's busier. But anyway, that's not a judgment against the situation. Anyways, we were we were in the main area, like where you first go into emergency for, I don't know, for half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. We're starting to see hope there again. We actually went to a second holding area that was on the inside. Felt like we'd be in duped. It was a little trick. Yeah. yeah, it was a little trick. They play an emergency where it's like, hey, you're getting in. Oh, no, you're just going to wait some more. That's fine. Um, so we stayed there for like an hour. Yeah. Probably. I don't know, something like that. And then they finally put us in like in a, I don't know what you call it, an evaluation room. Yeah. Like just a generic, like where people go to be evaluated in an emergency. They put us in this room. This was just in the general area. This was not in the psych area, which was different than the first time around. We went straight into the psych area the first time around. So I'm wondering if there wasn't room at that particular time or if the triage nurse just evaluated it differently. I'm not entirely sure. But we sat there for, I would say, at least two hours. Well, the whole process. We got there around 730, 7.30. 7.30. And I was in for the night in the psych emergency at 3 a.m. 3 a.m., yeah. So it was a little bit tougher this time around. And that includes, like, Caitlin sticking around to make sure everything was okay and checking on, you know, what they're going to do with meds and that sort of thing. The first time we went at, like, 11.30, and I was in for the night at 1.30, and that included, you know, you making sure everything was okay, you know, staying with the doctors and all that. It was about two hours total for you, and then this time it was seven thirty to three. Yeah, seven which and was hours. real. That was tough. Yeah, which and I don't know how to handle that exact topic because when emergency is dealing with you know let's say car accidents or um physical injuries that are of an imminent nature. I understand. Like yeah, you've got to, if someone's bleeding out, you got to deal with that first. Yeah, and they did have a lineup of paramedics that night, like ambulances True. were delayed getting out. So oh, it was just a weird experience. But I felt like the first night we went, I felt like they identify suicide as a risk, is a as a problem that they need to deal with on a like prioritized mm-hmm. level. And I didn't, we weren't really prioritized. Maybe we were, it was just they had a lot more going on on Monday night. I don't know. But um, that was tiring. Where I was just exhausted after that. Yeah. I believe it was Tuesday afternoon, about four o'clock, mm-hmm. they moved me to the psych ward. Yeah. Yeah, you had seen a different psychiatrist that morning. Um, but he didn't want to change anything. He said, we'll take you to the psych ward at some point today and you'll see the same psychiatrist you saw 
um, on Saturday. Who was amazing, yeah. by the way. Yeah, Just a, what, an, what an amazing person that guy is. Through everything that I've dealt with in the past couple of weeks, there have been a select few people that have been amazing, and he's certainly one of them. Yeah, the top of the list. Yeah. So I went to the psych ward at about 4 o'clock, right around there. We go up, and we meet with a nurse. One of the nurses you'd seen on the weekend. Right. We went with, we saw that nurse that I saw on the mm. weekend, but the nurse that I was assigned to, I'd never met. No. So anyways, they said, that nurse said, you know, I'll go sit in the dining room and we'll kind of yeah. call you when we're ready. Do you remember that differently? Yeah. So we saw the nurse you saw on the weekend and yeah. she was the one who told us about your bed situation or about your room situation. Okay. Explain that part. So, um... It was really nice to see a familiar face. She was very friendly. Um, and she was said she was happy to see us. Glad you came back. You know, sorry, you're still not feeling good. She'd be on that short list of amazing oh, people yeah. that we dealt with. Yeah, she's probably number two. Um, she explained, you know, we, we know you had some anxiety about the room. Unfortunately, we are, you know, essentially she said they're over census. And, uh. I was jamming in a room with two other people. Yeah. When I was told I would only have one roommate and I had anxiety about being up there, sharing a room anyway. And then when I got up there, it was like, by the way, you're going to be with two people. And we don't have a bed for you. We're going to put you on a stretcher. Yeah. Which I understand, like, make no mistake that I understand that these are issues that these people can't control. Yeah. There's... The Joe Brandt is going to be renovating that. It'll How, be done in 17 months, but it's not suited for the need right now. And not just that, but I had a bed in the emergency area. And until I would suggest that until somebody else needed that bed, yeah, leave me there. But that's maybe they did. Maybe they maybe somebody needed that bed and I had to get out of there. I don't know. Anyways, we go up to the psych ward and I'm uncomfortable with the fact that I'm going to be on a stretcher and I'm going to be in a room with two other people and we're just kind of waiting for further instruction you know what happens next like we don't know we're just waiting for i guess for my area to be ready yeah we were waiting for the nurse to come give us next steps yeah there was a very noticeable difference in your demeanor i could tell you were quite upset by the news that you're gonna have to share the room you're pretty quiet at that point so well i was just i was like i don't know what we're supposed to be doing we just waited and we ended up waiting two hours in the dining room yeah, we were there for about a half an hour, and I went back to the nurse's station to check on things, and the, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was the charge nurse, and he said, well, the stretcher's not in the hallway, uh, must be in his room, but don't worry, your nurse will be over to, to see you. Okay, so there's parts to this that you, I'm not exactly aware of, yeah, so you'll have true. to kind of bring me in on that. Yeah, I think uh, we saw your nurse, she came into the lunchroom to take your vitals, and I just remember the first comment she said, our first introduction. She said, you look depressed. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, you look so depressed. It was almost like she was saying, you look, he looks so grumpy. Um, it's yeah, really maybe, kind of it maybe that's off. why I'm here. Yeah. It's a thought. So that irked us a little bit. Oh, yeah, I was upset by that because it was like, it was a surprise to her that I was depressed. Yeah, I'm in the psych ward because I'm depressed, idiot. Anyway. Yeah, so uh, she said, you know, you guys keep visiting and... I'll be back in a little bit to ask you more questions. So that was fine. And I think she came back in a little bit to give us a piece of paper to fill out a comfort plan. 
Um, yeah, I was like, what things irk me? What signs show? Where? What signs do I show when I'm getting upset? What What are my current kind of my comfort activities? Yeah, which I thought was great. I yeah. was like, that's smart. You should know what his triggers are. You should know what his physical signs of crisis are, and you should have five things you know is going to help calm him down. Yeah, that so that's smart. all fine. But then we waited there for another hour at that point. So this brings us to the two hour total that we were sitting in the dining room and not really going on at that point. Like we hadn't had a tour. Nobody really explained what I didn't know where anything was. I you uh, accidentally opened yeah. the door on somebody in the bathroom. Yeah. I thought the bathroom was like a public washroom. Like there was like a, like maybe like several stalls. There was, it was just like, there was no knob in the door. So I just pushed it. No, somebody's in there. Yeah. And I just walked in on them. I was like, holy, okay. I'm still like, that's a bad start. Now I feel embarrassed. Yeah. That's an aside. That's your anxiety a little yeah. bit. So I went back up to the nurse's station to find his nurse and she was there and I said, oh, hi. Like we're, we're just kind of wondering what the next steps are. We're waiting in the dining room, but just not sure what to do. And she said, well, I told you you could go to your, to the room. It's ready, but you guys wanted to sit there and keep visiting. I said, no. I uh, didn't understand that part of the conversation. Um, so she starts to lead me towards his room and she says, well, I guess you guys just aren't listening. And for anybody who knows me, <laughs> I avoid conflict at all costs and it takes a lot to make me back talk. Caitlin to is a very polite person, especially to people she doesn't know. But I actually told her, you know, that attitude is not helpful because I'm just envisioning her talking to you like that and how that's going to take things from bad to worse. Which brings us to our next step. Caitlin comes back and tells me what had just happened, basically. Well, not quite. So she had taken me to your room. All your stuff was dumped out on the stretcher. And I was like, okay, I wish you had told us that the room was ready because we could have cleaned up your stuff and tucked it away. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. So his room's ready. But what's the next step? So what do we do now? And she's like, oh, nothing. You'll see the doctor tomorrow. And I was like, okay, so, like, that's it then. She's like, yeah. You couldn't show me where stuff was or how it works around here, like any kind of an etiquette or no. just a just a courtesy, like here's what we have here. Yeah, here's uh, how it works. Anyway, you come back to yeah, me. Yeah, I just kind of, I think you could tell I was a bit flustered. I said, what's, what's going on? And you were like, I forget what you said. I said, well, that's it. I guess we're, your room's ready and there's nothing else going on tonight. And then that, that was. You would know, what irked me was that you had said that she told you that she had come and already told us that mm-hmm. everything was ready to go. Yeah. And I said, and Caitlin was upset about it and agitated already. I went to speak with her. So I walked down the hall and I get to the nurse's station and she's on her break and they kind of say, you know, she's on her break. So I said, okay. So I uh, was visibly upset and I just walked back down the hall and she must have heard me and followed me down the hall back into the dining room back into the dining room and can you kind of guide us through what happened there so she came in and she said what's the problem and you like immediately confrontational yeah it wasn't like oh hey what's going on it was what's the problem and you explained well my wife and i have been sitting here for two hours nobody's explaining to us what's going on I walked in on somebody in the bathroom. We've been waiting for further instruction and nobody's come and told us otherwise. Yeah. And then she And said, she said that she had told us otherwise. Yeah. She basically reset what she told me that, yes, I did. I told you you could go to the room, but you guys wanted to stay here and keep visiting. And you said, nope, that is not what happened. So then instead of, you know, trying to be a nurse and diffusing any 
conflict or trying to just calm the, the situation, looks at me and says, you're angry. I'll come back when you're not. Yeah. And then leaves. And I flung a tray of food and screamed and what? screamed Profanity. bad words <laughs> that I was going to say, but I'm trying to censor myself. Yeah. Um, and I just lost it. And for anybody that knows me, I don't get angry easily. No, I know that really was like, I didn't know what to do. Like, I'd never seen you like that. And basically at that point, all the nurses come. Yeah, everybody comes in and was like, what is going on? Because somebody's agitated. And you basically said, like, that nurse, like, she's, like, basically said, don't like that nurse. I put a post on Facebook since deleted, which is something we can do later because I've been upset. But I had said, if you don't own the basic qualities of empathy and compassion, don't work in a psych ward. And that's that person's problem. Yeah. And when I am in a vulnerable state, don't treat me like that. Yeah, don't be confrontational and try to find out what the root of the problem is. So to backtrack... Went back to the hospital because we felt safe doing so, and immediately now I'm questioning my decision. And so am I, to be honest. I was, yeah, like, the. I'll explain later, but essentially that was the first time I didn't feel like I left you in a safe place. So I was just, like, violently angry? Which I'd never seen you that angry before, ever. Like, you get mad, but you've never been. Like, you were seething. You wouldn't let me even get close to you. Like, it's like, so here's the deal and why I was upset, if you haven't pieced this together yet, that I went back to the hospital as a last line of defense to keep myself from doing regrettable things. And when I was met with that kind of approach in the psych ward, I immediately felt unsafe, that this is making things worse. I am suddenly at risk to myself mm-hmm. and it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Really. As I reflect on that. Yeah. That's what that was. I was mm-hmm. like, I have nothing left. I, if, if I can't be here and be safe, where do I go? Yeah. So anyway, we, uh, I guess after that, they pulled us into a, their conference room, like the only kind of private room they had. And they said, okay, we're going to give the two of you like some time together to calm down. But, and the head nurse came in and chatted with us. Yeah, the charge nurse. So they gave us a couple minutes, and then the charge nurse came in and said, hey, like, I know... What he did what the other one should have done. Yeah, he was nice and calm and, like, just asked, hey, like, what happened? Like, what's uh, what's upset you? What's going on? And, you know, you kind of re-explained the whole... She's like not helping me, and this was not a good situation. Nobody gave us a tour. Nobody set us up. We don't know what's going on. I don't have a bed. And People like that aren't fit to work here. Yeah, and he was like understanding, but he also, and understandably, he was a bit political, like not really to be diplomatic that about something it. Something was wrong, but was like sorry that it had happened, sort of thing. Yeah. And, um. I was, I don't just because it was so emotionally charged, I was crying because I just had never seen you so upset. And I was worried that I, they weren't going to be able to take care of you. And I remember you saying to him something along the lines of, look, she's the one that doesn't need to be here. And she's crying. Like, you guys have done something wrong. And he was admitting that. How are I mean, you going to fix it? Yeah. 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 And we talked it out and... 
he, I don't know if he said he was going to follow up with the nurse or not, but eventually just said, you know, yes, you should have had a tour. And yes, there's actually a lot more paperwork that should be filled out. There's a few more things to go through tonight. And then he eventually took us around. Yeah. Showed me where everything was. Some of it. He said there was more to come. And then the next morning, we'll get to that in a minute. But there was no more paperwork that I filled out. My paperwork I filled out was to be discharged. But anyway. Yeah. um, To jump ahead a little bit. So I don't really remember what happened after that. Basically, did you leave? And then I just kind of. Yeah. So when we finished the tour, you told me to leave. You wanted me gone. You didn't want me there. There was an hour left in visitation. But you were just so agitated. What good was it for you to stay there? You'd already been there two hours yeah. and you shouldn't have been. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure you were okay. And at that point, I knew you weren't. And I knew there wasn't really anything I could do to fix that. But I think I must have said, because this is how I felt, that even though I was frustrated, this was still what I needed. Yeah. This, this, this is the safe place. Yeah, I'm not going home tonight. Not that you could have anyway. Right. Because you need to be assessed by the psychiatrist. I am not a harm to myself while I'm in here. Yeah. I'm going to be fine. Yeah. But I think I just, if I remember correctly, I took the stuff that was just strewn across my bed, if that's the right word. Yeah. And uh, the head nurse came in and gave me a table uh, table tray and cleaned that off so I could put my stuff on it. And I just laid down and like covered myself with my sheets and was like just get through the night and this was at like seven o'clock yeah shortly after i think i just went to sleep and because i think you were gone at that point yeah so, I had, at that point i had cried the whole way home because i was scared to death of what because you were just so mad when i left you weren't calm and my, i knew you were gonna try to just go to sleep but yeah, I cried the whole way home. I thought about trying to calm myself down before I called my parents, and I didn't. I'm like, no, I need to talk to somebody about this now. At which point my mom was like, I'm flying out there. So I was like, okay, that sounds good. So Caitlin's mom has uh, been Caitlin's therapist through this <laughs> while I'm trying to figure my own shit out. Um, so that night, um, there was a nurse came in maybe like 9, 9.30 to give me medication for the evening that the uh, psychiatrist had prescribed and at that time I was so out of it that I didn't even really remember what he wanted me to take in the evening and I wasn't familiar with it was a new drug it was supposed to be the first time yeah it it was called Seroquel yeah but at the time I didn't know what it was and I said I'm not familiar with this I'm not taking it and then she was like okay, well, I'll go double check. And then she left, came back, said, no, you're supposed to take this. I was like, well, nobody told me, so I'm not. She leaves, comes back, and says, you really need to take this. I said, I'm not. And she said, you're refusing? I said, absolutely. I'm not taking this. I'm already vulnerable and feeling unsafe. I'm not going to take mystery drugs. <laughs> um, so she said, okay. So that was kind of the end of that. And at that point, she had kind of, she wasn't confrontational, but she just wasn't particularly helpful. She also didn't give me the medication that I had been previously previously prescribed. So I try to put my words together like a big boy. (laughs) Um, She she also didn't give me that. I said, where is it? And she said, well, that's not on the order. Or no, that was the next thing, as I remember it now, that irked me and kind of made me feel unsafe was that it said... She said it said on my paperwork that I was given that drug at lunchtime. 
And I said, that doesn't make any sense. I didn't take any medication at lunchtime. I never do. And I remembered when I was in emergency that the nurse came with it. And I said, I take that at night. And she said, oh, okay, we'll save it for you for later. But at some point it got checked off that I took it. And then the nurse in the psych ward wouldn't give it to me because it was checked off as having been taken. Yeah. And I said, I, I assure you I didn't take it, but she wasn't taking my word over what was on the paper. You so called me at that point. I, yes, I called Caitlin to try to plead with them that I didn't get the medication that I felt I needed. And Caitlin got on the phone with them and assured them that this didn't take place. Um, I had not received my medication at lunchtime. But that wasn't enough. They still said yeah. they had got to go by what's on the paper. Well, and from... Like, being a quality assurance professional, I can understand policy and protocol. And their protocol is, when it's unclear whether or not a patient has had their medication, they do not administer it because they do not want to accidentally double dose. However, I will rebut that by saying that the next morning when I asked the nurse that we really liked Mm. whether or not she would have given me the medication, she said that she would have. Yeah. Um, based on the fact that the medication I was taking to take a double dose wouldn't have been detrimental right. anyway. And um, it was clear to me that the nurse that was that was going by the book was maybe out of her depth yeah. or inexperienced. Yeah. Anyway, so there was that, and I was upset about that now. This is at like 9.30. So I tried just to go back to sleep. And that was when uh, one of my roommates... Um, started kicking me. Uh, my bed was, our beds were lined up against the wall. He was in the corner. If I can try to describe this visually, he's in the far corner, head in the corner. And then my bed was immediately against his, his feet to my head. So like he wasn't directly kicking me in the head, but he was kicking my bed, which was kicking, which was, Jolting you. Jolting me in the head. I was like, well, this is unpleasant. I don't want exactly want a confrontation with somebody whose diagnosis I'm not aware of mm. in a psych ward. Yeah. So between kicking me in the head and um, having vicious bowel issues mm-hmm. that were disgusting, I was like, I guess I'm not getting any sleep tonight. So I went out and I sat in a chair beside the nurse's station. And I just said, can I sit here for the night? And they said, yep. I read a book, some of a book, until I got to a point where I was so... First of all, I was just so upset that I really had lost focus reading that book. And I uh, just... It was almost like I wanted to punish myself. I was like, I, you know, I'm just going to stare at the wall the rest of the night. So from about 2 a.m., to six, I literally just stared off into space. I wasn't allowed to have my phone. So, and nobody came and checked on me. Nobody, there was one nurse that was doing, that was walking by the rooms to make sure everybody was still in there. They do routine checks. And as she was walking by me, she said, are you okay? And I shrugged. And she did not break stride as she continued to walk away. That was the extent of anybody trying to see if I was okay that night. 
at about 6 a.m. I uh, felt like, you know, people are going to start getting up. Hopefully Buddy's bowel issues are gone. He didn't stop kicking me in the head. But uh, I went back and laid down just to sleep, just to try to get away from all of this. Yeah, you had called me at 6 a.m. to tell me not to come and bring you breakfast. Because I was planning on being there first thing in the morning. Because visiting hours were only from 3 to 8.30. But they told me I could come first thing in the morning and drop off breakfast. And it was so long ago now that I'm wondering, like, that must have been because I was going back to sleep. Well, and, yeah. So I'd been up all night. At that point, I told you mom was coming. Because I just wanted you to know. I didn't want it to be a surprise at any point. And you said, okay, well, just so you know, I'm leaving today. I'm not staying here. And don't come. Don't bring me breakfast. I was like, okay. I had food. Yeah, but I didn't know that at the time. Because I remember thinking I thought you were going on a hunger strike. Like, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, I was still punishing myself. But yeah. then they actually brought a decent breakfast. Like, there was egg. Egg and, and stuff. As eat. mentioned, we're on the ketogenic <laughs> diet, and you can only eat certain things. And thankfully, they had an egg patty that I ate for breakfast. An egg patty. It was called a plain omelet. <laughs> folded egg. It was a folded scrambled egg. <laughs> Unlike anything I've ever seen before. Anyway, I'm not here to critique hospital food. You did come in, like, at, what, 9, 10, 11? I I feel like I slept till, like, 11 o'clock. You slept for a while. I got a call from the nurse that we liked, and she asked me to describe what had happened. Because I had, when I called, when you called me about the medication mix-up, I had quite a confrontational discussion with the charge nurse on the night shift who I had not met about their issues and how they were causing me to feel unsafe leaving him leaving you there and that I felt that you were not getting the best care so the day nurse followed up with me because she had been there during the incident she's like can you explain to me exactly what went on and she was like, this is the and, same amazing nurse yeah that and she was like with. you know I, I observed this from an arm's length and I should have stepped in and I'm sorry it all happened and we're going to try to make it up to you and all that. And that was great. I really appreciated that phone call. And then I think it was not even 10 minutes later. It was around 10, 10 o'clock, 1030. Um, the psychiatrist called with you on speakerphone um, to kind of outline, hey, like. It's been so long and I've been through so much <laughs> shit that I, I don't even really remember this. Yeah, I've recounted the stories a few times. Okay. So that's why the details have stuck with me for now. But. Yeah, we were on speakerphone and you were saying, you know, that you were obviously very upset that things did not go the way they should have gone the night before and well, you wanted it, to be discharged. Yeah, and he called you because I had expressed, like, no need to go over anything additional. I would like to be discharged today. Yeah. As soon as possible. Yeah. So he kind of opened things up for me. He said, you know, regardless of visiting hours, like, please, uh, please come out to see me. Um, there were some disability forms we wanted filled out. Well, here's the other thing is it, sorry if I jump ahead no, here, no but I wanted to leave because I felt more vulnerable at the mm. hospital than I did when I didn't think I could be home alone. I said, I would rather be home alone than be here because this is hurting me. It's not helping me. And, uh, when we expressed that to, uh, Dr. Singh, mm. he said, if you leave, you have to promise me you will get help if you need it. And I said, yeah, no, no question. I will figure something out. And then they explained to us that something we didn't really know, 
Um, I don't know. I'm, I might be jumping around on the uh, chronological order here, but the psychiatrist and the good nurse had assured, had reinforced to us that of something we weren't previously aware that we could go to any hospital in Ontario. Any ER, yeah. Any ER, and they would have to help us. And they had suggested, if you're not going to be here, Oakville's got good facilities, and they might be able to take care of you better. Might get they, a private they were, room. Might get a private room, and I think that they were honestly ashamed of what had happened. Yeah, they were. Well, they, they kept were, apologizing. They were upset about it, and they were they were good about it. But yeah, I, I came in that afternoon. We got the disability paperwork done. They, you know, we went through the whole story again. They apologized again. And, you know, uh, they had actually made arrangements so you could have your regular psycho- psychologist call that day. Like, they were yeah, really accommodating. I, yeah, I had a private room for my psychologist call where I bawled for a solid hour and wondered mm-hmm. why, I li- why I still live. Um, and he told me he was going to... I asked him a question I've been wanting to ask for a long time to my psychologist that I've been seeing since October. And I said, you know, we all have this basic instinct to be alive. Why is that? And why is there so much fear in death? That what if death wasn't that big a deal? What if that would have been okay like why is that not an option why is that viewed as not an option why is life so precious and that sort of thing when in my own head I don't necessarily view life as precious I don't necessarily always view life as worth living and this was the state of mind I was in and I have been in and out of in recent days and he said he was going to uh, he, he had recently bought a book for his own uh, personal use on death specifically and kind of that I guess existentialism and he said I'm gonna I'm gonna get that to you and then he, he sent me a link by email later but same page that guy I see every week since October I don't know how much he's helped me ultimately because I've had to be hospitalized and certainly that's not his doing but I just don't know if the right buttons have been pressed. Mm-hmm. And uh, But he's been so caring and so helpful on just an emotional level. Yeah, an emotional Like man to man, like he gets me, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying the cognitive behavioral therapy and the acceptance and commitment therapy. And evidence shows that's not working. But the dude cares and... I got to appreciate him for that. And, you know, he's, he's gone personal with me, like with his own stories a few times, not about his depression stories. He doesn't have those, but just life and coping and getting through and that life and death and the existential crisis. And that, you know, put the therapy bullshit aside. That's, that's just nice. Yeah. I, the best things that I've taken from him in four months are how I can relate to his personal struggle in his own, like he's got his own struggles that he's been through and it's not 
always mental health related, but I, I can resonate with whatever he's saying. And that's, I guess, not to keep going back to my holier than now, this is why I'm here thing, but like that's why I've been doing this podcast. I hope somebody takes something from this too. Anyway, back on track after that conversation with my therapist. What happened? So we essentially um, agreed that we were going to go straight to Oakville Trafalgar Memorial Hospital. Yeah, once they had described what they had and how they would help, I said, I'm leaving here now and we're going directly there. Yeah. So I had my call with my therapist and we signed some paperwork and Dr. Singh... uh, was just generally amazing yeah he's, they he's said a, you know he's a wonderful human being if there's and, anything we can do and you still have our number you can call us and uh, apologize profusely and that was that we got in the car didn't go directly there because for some reason we decided to go home oh I think your the, wallet was here you didn't have your health card i didn't so have my can. health card i think the dog might have needed to get out or whatever yeah. so i said i don't have a problem going home for five minutes we'll grab a change of clothes or whatever and then we went straight to Oakville. Yeah, got there around 5 o'clock. Was it 5? Yeah. Okay. And then that was another, basically, that was just as bad of a wait as it was the two nights before yeah. in Burlington. Not quite as well, yeah, actually. Yeah, it was, yeah it well, was here's the deal. Length. Here's the deal at Oakville. They were even, it was even more of a, like a magic <laughs> trick. act, trick, yeah, a bunch of tomfoolery where they get you in there. Take your health card, take your information, you're in, say, okay, you're going to go to this area. And the then ER someone, was empty. And the ER is empty. Zone someone else. AB is where you go, where we went next. So and it was empty. And then it was empty, yeah. And I'm like, oh, holy smokes, we're going to be in here. I'm going to be in here for the night in like 10 minutes. Yeah. So then after that, they call us into, and everything's been empty. There's no one in sight that's a patient so far. Yeah. They call us into a third area, which turned out so to be F. the, yeah. okay, that turned out to be the psychiatric holding, holding area. That waiting room only had like six chairs, yeah. but it was full. And yeah. we had to stand outside the waiting room for a chair for like a half an hour. Yeah. And what was weird about that is that there were like six people there and they weren't all six of them were patients. It was like three patients and then their spouses or parents. And I was the last one in. Yeah. They assessed me in emergency, just a nurse, sat there all night from like 6 until one thirty was when I was down for the night. So it was yeah. seven and a half hours there as well, yeah. just in that room, wondering if anything is ever going to happen, because I'd gone through the other areas so quickly, like, yeah. it's almost like they do it on purpose, and like again, it's not, I'm not here to critique that system, but it's just... It was so frustrating to sit there for hours, and I didn't know what was going on. And, yeah, and I, I was, was I was too. very. What were, what were you worried about? Because I had to leave to go get mom from the airport, and you were having some pretty bad anxiety. I was having some crazy anxiety that I'm not particularly familiar with. I have a little bit of anxiety, but my my issue, my demon, is depression. And I was like so anxious that I was like f- feeling faint and like jittery. And after like two hours of sitting there, I actually went up to the nurse's station and just knocked on the door. And I said, I feel like I'm going to pass out. Like, is there anywhere I can lie down? And all the nurse did was pointed at the chair I had already been sitting in and said, go sit over there. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that advice. 
So, anyways, I didn't faint. I was fine. But it was just a long night. And, and unfortunately, they were over census. They, yeah, every room, they had private rooms in emergency. They had more. They had like... They had like eight, 10. Yeah, like 10 rooms. But they were all full, and I had to sleep on a stretcher for the night. In the hallway. Which I was not thrilled about, but I just felt, based on everything that I'd heard, and, you know, nobody treated me like a piece of crap. I was like, let's just get through tonight and see what happens tomorrow. Yeah, there was a little bit of... Trying to remain positive about this whole thing. Yeah, we did get some good news that, well, it was a little bit conflicting, but one person told us that all the rooms upstairs in the psych ward were private, and somebody else said, oh, actually, it's 80% of the rooms. And just to keep... So before we proceed to the next day, I just want to go back and make sure everybody's on the same timeline here. Monday night, I went to the ER in Burlington. Mm-hmm. Tuesday afternoon, I was admitted... Wednesday afternoon, I left. Wednesday evening, I was at Oakville. Stayed the night Wednesday evening in Oakville, so now we're at Thursday morning. Thursday morning at around 9 a.m., I'd still been sleeping, and they basically woke me up and said, we got a room for you now in emergency. So I just went over to a room where they had more of a bed. It was still kind of a stretcher bed hybrid or something, but it was it was a bigger surface area to lie on, which was nice, and... They brought me a breakfast I couldn't eat because I'm picky and on the ketogenic diet. <laughs> but um, I, I was, was coming in with your breakfast. Anyway. Yeah, and at that point I was just like, okay, I have a room, like just a sigh of relief. Like we're we're making progress here, I think. And then was that when the psychiatrist came in? Yeah, so we had just finished eating breakfast. So then the devil comes in to uh, chat with us. The psychiatric demon who should not exist comes in and uh, he will not be named but uh, if you look up on ratemds.com for psychiatrists in Oakville my review involves um, what I'm about to discuss so he comes in and you can kind of figure out who it is I don't feel like giving him any credit of any kind even though he's a I'm not his biggest fan. I'm not even going to mention his name. I'll mention the good people in this story. Anyway, he comes in, closes the door, sits down, looks at me and says, why do you need to be here? Yeah, he said he had reviewed the other psychiatrist notes. I'm a bit confused. I don't know why you're here. In that tone. But it was more of an aggressive tone than yeah. what you just gave him credit he's like, for. I, he's like, I've looked over the notes from the other two psychiatrists. I'm confused. I don't know why you're here. I also understand that you want a private room. That's not going to happen. Zero percent chance that will happen. I'm not getting a private room. Can you explain why you think you need to be here? And then I look at Caitlin because I'm just so emotionally distraught and exhausted. I said, can you help me out? And then he interrupts, looks at Caitlin and says, actually, can you leave? Yeah, actually, I'm going to ask you to step outside. So he goes outside and I'm like, great. How am I supposed to articulate myself now? Off to a lovely start. Meanwhile, in Burlington, the the amazing guy we dealt with the there was just... He had asked you very politely because he was the most polite, man alive, most polite man alive and asked you to step out. Yeah. And then as soon as I... Which, understandably, is mm-hmm. for... You know, privacy concerns, like maybe Caitlin was the problem. He doesn't know. Exactly. 
but then everything after I explained, he allowed Caitlin back in. We kind of went over things together from that point on. Yeah, this guy, he was just so cold. It was very like cold and clinical, and I knew he had already upset you. So yeah, I was immediately upset by that. Like, what is your problem, man? Like again, like this kind of confrontational attitude. He asked me a couple of questions. I don't exactly remember how it went, but it was. He was just very much like. You know, you got to prove to me that you're worth us worth us keeping you here. Worth a bed upstairs. Yeah. And I just kind of, at one point, after a couple of questions, I just said, why are you giving me so much attitude? And he's like, I'm not giving you any attitude. Like that. Like, mm. that's not attitude either. But anyway. I continued the conversation as best I could. Broke down crying. I could see from the blinds you were crying, your head was in your hands, your arms were flailing, so I knew you were upset and angry. I wasn't being, like, I wasn't, like, angry. I wasn't, like, outwardly angry towards him at that moment. I was angry. I was definitely angry by the way that he was kind of treating me, but I was trying my best. And then he just says, okay, and gets up and leaves. And, like, I have no direction. Like, I have no idea, like, what he's doing with my information or what just happened. I was just like, I've been interrogated. Like I was a criminal. And then Caitlin comes back in. Well, and... he had, if I can add to this too, okay. cause this upset me as well was he came out of the room and said, he's all yours. And he didn't fill me in on what you had talked about, which was a much different approach than at Joe Brandt and yeah. Dr. Singh that I was kept in the loop every step of the way because he doesn't know this. I get it. But when you're upset, you don't retain information very no, well. No, I'm scattered, and that's why Caitlin's here talking about this podcast with me right now, because I have a lot of blanks I can't fill in. So, he leaves, and you come in, and I kind of explain, like, I don't know what the hell just happened. He had said that a bed would open up later. So I was like, oh, okay, good. So that means you're being admitted. And you're like, well, I guess so. He didn't really say that. He didn't, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm fairly upset at this moment. But I, uh, as I've mentioned before, I'm on a testosterone supplement. It's a gel that I need to put on my shoulders every morning after I have a shower. So to keep my, to bring up my testosterone level. And I just thought, well, I'm upset. Showers kind of calm me down. I'm going to go take a shower, see if I can take a shower. I didn't even know if I could. So I go and knock on the door of the nurse's station. The nurse comes out and I say, am I able to take a shower? And she said, you can, but we don't have any soap. In in what world does a hospital not have soap available? Yeah, and like, remember, this is an ER holding area. Like, we actually thought ahead and packed you some clothes and stuff, but we didn't think ahead to packing you soap. Like, this is an area where people might not even realize they have to stay the night. Right, so maybe have some soap on hand. Yeah. Anyways, already angry. It wasn't even so much about the shower. It was just everything building up. I kind of had another fit like I did yeah. the other Scream day. Yeah, profanity again. Yeah, lots of bad words. And I went in. I can't remember exactly what I did in my room. Stripped All I remember, I stripped the bedding off. Stripped the bedding off. I know for sure that I flipped the bed. Flipped the bed. And it's not a light bed, people. Like, this is a heavy bed. So here's where it gets good or bad, depending on how you see this. If it was a movie, you'd be like, ooh, this is good. In reality, it's like, ooh, this is really bad. 
after I flip the bed, like security comes in, like a nurse and a, and then the psychiatrist that I had just been speaking with, like fought not five minutes previously. He comes in and I think instead of me explaining it, I want you to explain what you saw at that point. Yeah. So I was not in the room when it happened, when you flipped the bed, I was standing just outside the room watching you do it. And then the psychiatrist comes in the room and stands nose to nose with you in a wide stance and essentially kind of like puffs out his chest, if you know what I mean. Like he was ready to like fight you or like It felt like he wanted to fight. And then at that point, a nurse comes in and the security guards come in and he says, we talked about stuff like this not happening. And then you said, oh, really? Because I don't remember what we talked about five minutes ago. And he said, yes, you do. And then you said, I'm leaving. I'm not staying here. Which, to backtrack, when you were admitted the night before, it was voluntarily. They did not put you under a Form 1. Yeah, Form 1 is when they can hold you basically against your will for your for your own well-being. Yeah. And yeah. at that point, he put me under a Form 1. Well, yeah, so I didn't know at the time, because he then said, well, no, you're not leaving, and my mind didn't work quick enough to say, well, hey, he's here voluntarily, um, he's not under a Form 1, but, uh, and then he turned to me, and he said, we're going to escort you out, and then I shouldn't have, but I made a snide remark, oh, yeah, because that worked so well last time. Well, in all honesty, like, Cause what you I call was it a snide remark, is... but you shouldn't have said it. But what should you have said in that situation? Yeah, like, essentially, he didn't take the time to get to know me like the other doctors did at Joe Brandt to understand that I have a calming effect and I can be helpful in these situations. He just wanted me out of the room. So I said, well, I'll leave the room, but I'm not leaving the hospital. And he said, yes, you're leaving the hospital. And at that point, a nurse escorted me out. And the security guards are there and I'm asking the nurse, like, what is going on? And I'm concerned. I'm like, this doctor has created this problem and, and I'm concerned that he's not safe. And the nurse says, this is all between him and the doctor. You need to leave. You can call later this afternoon for an update. Which to fast forward, you called for updates and they wouldn't give them to you because you didn't have authorization of some kind. I was supposed to give authorization, which they wouldn't let me provide yeah so i essentially went home bawling my eyes out again because again i feel like i've left you in an even more unsafe space i didn't know what they were going to do strap you to the bed or whatever so yeah they uh after i flipped the bed he said you're gonna pick that up i said no (laughs) you've done this to me no i'm not picking it up security the security guards wheel it out took two of them to lift it back up yeah and then they took the uh mattress and threw it on the floor and and then he slammed the door on me and said you can either stay in here or i'll lock you in here oh his exact words that's the first time i'm hearing that one oh Mm. welcome to my life Mm. so um a little bit later he comes in with the actual paperwork for the form one which i'd seen before in burlington and they were much more um helpful through that process he hands it to me and he says, this is the form one. And he goes to explain what it is and I rip it, rip it in shreds. And he says, okay, and closes the door. I open the door back up, slide the paperwork out into the hallway and then close the door. Stare to my face. He comes back later, maybe an hour later. And he says, what was that about? 
like he had done nothing wrong and I needed to check myself. At that point, I said, I'm not answering any more of your questions. He looked at me for a minute and then walked out. And then not long after that, I was admitted to the constant observation unit. Yeah, so backtracking a little, I went home upset. My mom was here, thank goodness. Shout out to my mom. She's the best. She was on the phone with my dad. And I come into the house unconsolable. And, like, mom looks scared. And she tells dad, I'm going to have to call you back. And I'm, like, trying to choke out the words as to what happened. Because, like, I couldn't understand what was going on. And why this doctor was taking this approach. And why they kicked me out and were keeping me 100% in the dark. I had no idea what was going on. Because you had tried to call and they wouldn't give you any information. Well, no. So then I got calmed down enough and I said, I'm going to call in an hour because I'm not going to call right now because then they're going to label me. I feel like they had already labeled me as a problem. So I'm like, I can't make myself look like a problem or an an instigator or anything. So I called in an hour. I said, my husband is there. There was an incident this morning. I'm just looking for an update on how he's doing. And they said, okay, he's resting. And I'm like, well, at that point, I didn't know if it meant, like, strapped down to a bed. No, I slept on the floor on that mattress until it was time to go. And then I was like, okay. And they're like, he'll be moved later today. Uh, We don't know where. Here's a couple of extensions. And I said, okay. I'm like, can you clarify one thing for me? In the middle of the incident, the doctor told him he couldn't leave. But he was there voluntarily. Do you know if a Form 1 was placed on him because of the incident? And she said, do you know if he's on a Form 1? And she said, yes. I'm like, okay, well, he wasn't. Because he was voluntary last night. Do you know if the Form 1 was placed because he had an incident? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, can you find out for me? Because at this point, I'm not sure that this hospital is the best place for you to be. And I just wasn't sure what was going on. And she said, I can't tell you anything without your husband's consent. And at that point, I'm like, I don't know what to say. Cause I'm How like, about you go get my consent? Yeah, nobody had ever asked you. No, nobody, no, like, no one. The doctor didn't even really know that I was your wife. He never asked me who I was. And so I was just so upset again because I didn't understand why they had shut me out from the beginning without asking, you know, what your comfort level was. But it was an automatic, no, we won't tell her anything. And that concerned me. We're about an hour in here. How are we painting this picture for you? Yeah. Rhetorical question. It does get better. We'll say that. Does it? It's better, but it's not all roses. Not all roses. So I got to the constant observation unit. Is that where we're at with this story? Yeah. So I... I don't even know where I am. They didn't tell me. It wasn't until Caitlin came in and told me that, like, I'm under, like, this is, like, a special unit for, like, high-risk cases. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, they hadn't really explained to you. You thought that that was your room for the rest of your I guess, uh, Toolsy took me seriously there after I flipped the bed. Yeah. Um, figured I should be under constant observation yeah so like they put me up there and it's all kind of a blur there were a couple of nurses came in and got my story and then i think that was kind of it for the day yeah well what was funny was that you were actually in a pretty good mood that night like i know mom and i came in we played some well, so, we didn't play cards we just chatted so i'll explain why i was in a good mood that night was because i i went there looking for a little more of a private room said you know, if it was an option and we had to pay for it, we would. Just whatever it took to get a little more privacy or something more comfortable. 
him being kicked in the head. And uh, Toolsy, the psychiatrist, said, uh, you're not getting a private room. And the next thing I know, I'm in a private room. Yeah. Which was... With the bed bolted to the floor. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't flip the bed because it was attached to the floor. Yeah, it's a very anti-self-harm room. Yeah, and come to find out that that wasn't their main area. I found that out, like, a while later, like, hours after I'd been there because I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So that was interesting. We saw a psychiatrist. So that was... That was Thursday. Thursday night, yep. Left you that night. I felt good. Like, you were okay. I felt like you were safe there. I felt like things were happening. It was such a relief to be in a room. I had an amazing nurse who was everything I would expect to get. And then some when I had so many experiences to this point that were unhelpful. And to suddenly be dealing with people who understood what this thing is was suddenly refreshing. Mm. I felt better. Yeah. So I was there the rest of Thursday and Friday. And then Saturday morning, they had determined that I had improved to the point they were confident that I could go to the regular psychiatric ward that was you, just on the other side. You like had a new psychiatrist at this point. Dr. V. v. No, I don't, I don't even know <laughs> what his last name is, good. but yeah, he's somewhere in the middle between uh, Toolsy and uh, Toolsy's not his name, by the way. That's just what I'm calling him because he's a tool. Uh, between Toolsy and uh, Doctor Singh, but he's higher towards Doctor. He's Singh. much closer to Doctor Singh <laughs> than he is to Toolsy. Yeah, but because uh, Doctor Singh is like above all other levels, like, he's <laughs> probably the greatest human alive, as near as I can tell. Like, if, like I just wish that he and the nurse uh, Tasha that we dealt with in Burlington, she says, "Is there anything that we can do to keep you here?" And I said, "Well, can you work twenty four hours a day?" And she laughed and said, "I'm sorry." And that was that. Anyway, Saturday, going to the regular ward. And I get my phone back. I was without my phone. And it was funny because the doctor had told us, you know, we'll get you in the other unit. It's The rooms are much nicer. And I'm much looking bigger, at this room. Right? Like, I'm already in a private room. And I'm like, what? what? This, this is, that gets better size, than this? It has two windows. And then we get into your actual room. And it's got bigger windows and your own private bathroom with your own shower. And it the was point, much nicer. The point here is that if you need to go to psych ward, go to probably Oakville. just go to Oakville. Deal yeah. with Toolsy for a minute. He's the lead psychiatrist. Again, I'm trying to give you hints on who this guy might be. But I'm not going to say his name. Um, apparently the lead psychiatrist, I don't know if it was lead psychiatrist overall or just the lead psychiatrist in emergency. Anyway, he's a piece of shit. So we, uh, go to the regular ward and, you know, things are progressing and we're dealing with the good psychiatrist and at least one really good nurse, one exceptional nurse and a couple other pretty good ones. And there's still the crusty people that shouldn't be in a psych ward. I don't, I'll never understand that. Like, why, why do you work in mental health if you don't get it? Yeah. Like, I'm in a vulnerable state. Do I need you to bark at me? Yeah. When I feel like I want to die? Like, maybe that's not the right approach. 
Yeah. Anyway, like I I get to my new room. I have a private shower, which was more than I could have asked for. And apparently, like eighty percent of the rooms are private, which begs the question: like, what was tools he talking about when he said there was no way I was getting a private room? Unless he was just like it was, felt like it was some sort of a test. Which I passed with flying colors, apparently. <laughs> Ending up in the CLU. Yeah. yeah, but Dr. V on Friday, he didn't get admitted to the other ward till Saturday, but on Friday he did such a good job. He had a meeting with you to discuss what's going on. He had a meeting with me separately. Yeah, and, and then he we brought had, us uh, together. We had our two pretty good nurses, uh, Milwaukee and uh, Emily's the exceptional one. But... Uh, yeah, everybody kind of just get everybody on the same page, everybody in the same room together. Yeah, and he went through a very clear process of what was going to happen over the next few days, that they needed three to five days to assess you to make sure the diagnosis you came in with is correct or whether or not it needs to change. And sorry, I'm I, I'm just going to cut in to say that I feel like we're jumping around a bit, and I just hope you're following the story here. This was Friday morning. That we if had, I had the already, chat. Yeah, if, I hadn't already, yeah. if you hadn't already said that, I think you did, but just yeah. to reinforce Friday that. Friday morning we had the chat. He laid out the process. Three to five days to assess you, and then, you know, possibly medication adjustments, so you might need to stay longer than that to get stabilized, um, and that you'd be moved to the other ward, which didn't happen until Saturday, which was fine. Saturday morning I moved over, and it was, I don't know what it was, but it just seemed like the weekend... Being there kind of isolated and like no action. I thought I would see Dr. V on Saturday and I didn't. It wasn't until Monday. It was a long weekend and you know, I had my ups and downs. I don't really, yeah, I don't really recall how you the weekend You weren't too bad. Went. Like I think when mom and I came in in the evenings, you were pretty good. We played some Skippo. Shout out to Hasbro. Um, no, they don't pay for this. They're <laughs> not getting the advertisement. I was going to use swear words, but uh, Hasbro can go to hell. Until they give me money. Anyways, yeah, you were pretty good Saturday and Sunday. And then on Monday, we saw Dr. V again. Or actually, I might have missed him on Monday. But you saw him. This is all becoming a blur. The more recent stuff is becoming a blur. Yeah. So is there anything that you want to cover up until two days ago? Or sorry, yeah, Tuesday was the day that we got your diagnosis and all that information. Yeah, so I'd been previously diagnosed as DSM-5, under the DSM-5 criteria for major depressive disorder. I don't know what the hell that means, but that's like a textbook definition of major depressive disorder in the list of symptoms. I've been over that in a previous podcast. He kind of got more in-depth with it and more gave medical. specifics. And you had a CT scan. Yeah, yeah. They they checked my brain. And uh, this is where Allison chains. I should start playing that, but I don't have the <laughs> rights to it. Anyways, so do you want me to go through the diagnosis? Not really. I guess so because to me, when he and it kind of shook me when he gave me the diagnosis because it it just felt like he was downplaying the whole thing. It was like you got a little problem here, a little problem there, a little problem here, a little problem there. And, but the point he was making was that all of these little problems create a big problem. Yeah. And I don't, don't like, don't get into the analogy that he made, but if you could get into. Like it. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So essentially he indicated that in the CT scan, there was a physical abnormality of your brain. 
that he believed was a birth defect because you were born premature and there were some development issues there. Did he say birth defect? Because I thought that he had referred to potentially just like a development issue. Yeah, there he were said, just holes but growing he believes up. it was due to... Um, due to like it happened at birth and this is all kind of speculation he admitted yeah because i had i had pinpoint directly i brought up the idea of a brain injury as well yeah because yeah he admitted that could be a possibility as well but it's all kind of could be anything the fact is that there's a problem because i i don't recall ever having a brain injury specifically but i did hit my head really hard and i think i blacked out on ice on the playground when I was like six or seven years old. Yeah. And I just wondered, I've wondered for a long time, ever since there's been a link between concussions and depression, if that has something to do with it. And that's just me throwing darts. Yeah. Anyway. So essentially there's a small empty space in your brain near the right ventricle, um, which you said is a development issue. And... That's one little minor problem. Like, there's nothing they can do about that. There's not really anything they would do about that. Um, But because of that, and potentially, like, not that there's anything pinpointed, but potentially you could have experienced some environmental stressors in your childhood. Um, Shout out mom and dad. No. I don't know. (laughs) No. (laughs) Not, Not really pinpointed at any one event or any series of events, but the likelihood is the way they typically see this progress is that um, with the brain injury or defect, along with some environmental stressors, um, it led to you not developing proper coping mechanisms to deal with some day-to-day stress, and it also led to some holes in your personality, which I still haven't really wrapped my head around what that means, but essentially you don't have some of the regular skills that us like anybody else common would, folk us common folk <laughs> would normally have to deal with stress so maybe you you get angry easier you get depressed easier than a normal person would so what he did was essentially take the diagnosis of major depressive disorder which you still meet yeah he said because at the causes. end of it i was like well i was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and you're kind of downplaying all this he said no 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 this is all I'm giving, I'm putting specifics on the general definition is all I'm doing. Yeah, and what caused it? What's yeah. the underlying root cause of why you're depressed? You still certainly meet the criteria for major depressive disorder. Yeah. So I was like, okay, but I still, it was like, I don't know. It was something about that diagnosis. Were you done with what you were trying to Almost. explain? Almost. I was going to okay. go into the pretty analogy that okay, I actually really Okay, go into the analogy, then I'll go from there. So essentially the, the brain issue, the coping mechanism issue, and the personality issue are all little things. Um, I think he like agreed, like talking to you, you're a high functioning person. It's not causing you severe disability in that way. But he, he put an analogy forward that made it make a little bit more sense that if you buy a used car that's in good shape, low kilometers, nice engine, good shape, runs well, runs well, no issues, but the windshield wipers don't work. Well, that's not really a problem on a nice sunny day in the summer. But in the spring and when it rains, you need the windshield wipers. And he essentially said that's what's going on with you. You're trying if you're trying to drive in a rainstorm, you're gonna have problems. Yeah. And that's yeah. you know, you've hit a rainstorm. And, and he said it was like, you know, maybe your wipers don't work and then maybe one of your mirrors doesn't work or it's it's missing or uh 
He made a couple other little things that... Yeah. Like, I'll say there's no radio or something. I don't know. Just little things are insignificant. The car mainly works, but, like, in certain environmental situations, it might not work the way you need it to. Exactly. So, then he kind of laid out for us, you know, there is going to be medication requirements to help boost your mood and that sort of thing. He wasn't going to make any... Well, he was taking you off of the Cymbalta that you've been on since November because he didn't believe that that was really helping you with anything. Um, and he was going to um, up the Wellbutrin. Jacked up my Wellbutrin. I had to take clonazepam as needed, and I have the Seroquel, which was recently bumped to 100 milligrams to help sleep. Yeah. So he's like, I think that's the extent of my medication. I also take... Yep. I now take a, a multivitamin because the dietitian doesn't like the Nomon Keto. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, apparently I'm deficient in vitamin D even though I take a supplement already, which yeah. was alarming. But So I'm taking a vitamin D supplement as well. So he laid out that the treatment plan is essentially continue with these medications, which are going to help. But then you'll also need months to years of therapy depending on what coping mechanisms you're lacking and what personality holes they find as you start therapy because let's face it you're 30 years old and almost 31 and uh most people learn these by the time they reach adulthood so it's going to take time to relearn some of this stuff um he wanted to outline the day patient program that they have which is run from the hospital from nine to two monday to friday where you would be released at some point, and then you would start this program where you come to the hospital to do a little bit of kind of classroom group classes. It's not a group therapy in the sense that you share your feelings, but more so that you just get educated on some coping mechanisms. You'd see the psychiatrist two to three times a week or as needed, and you would have one-on-one therapy to go through You know your specific requirements. And I've been dealing with a therapist, a psychotherapist, every week, once a week since October, but this would be every day. Yeah, and it would be more than just CBT and ACT. Yeah. And it'd be very tailored. So, you know, it makes some sense. And at this point, have we kind of covered up until what I, the last part I kind of want to talk about? Have we filled in most of the holes here? Yeah, I believe so. I, uh, what were we talking about? What was the last thing you said? Just, uh, the day program, and that's, that's what the moving forward plan would be that he needs to see you for another few days to finish the assessment. And then they just need to get you stabilized before they release you. And at that point, when he explained that, you know, we'll keep you for a few days, get you stabilized, then we'll put you in the day program. It terrifies me. I'm out right now. I'm sitting in my third floor bedroom where I do my podcast. It's nice to be here, but I'm accompanied and I'm scared to be alone. And that's what frightens me about the program that they want to put me through. Because it's an outpatient only program. Yeah. I have to be discharged and then I do the day program Monday to Friday. And just the thought of... And Caitlin's going to try to work around her work schedule and try to figure it out. So she's always with me and taking me out and dropping me off. But... It's just in the back of my head that I don't know if I can get there on my own. I don't know if I can be alone if Caitlin's working late or anything like that. It's just there's a lot that scares me about all of this. So we, uh, we've we also been looking into a, a private option, which will cost thousands and thousands of dollars potentially. 
or twenty thousand, which is um, not ideal. But what is ideal about it is that it offers basically the same thing. But I'd stay there Monday to Friday. Caitlin picked me up on Friday afternoon, take me back Sunday night. So that provides a bit of a security blanket for me. We're still trying to mull over just how we're going to do this. And the reason why we're still mulling this over is where it gets a little bit tricky to talk about. Yeah. I've had a lot of time to think about why I feel this way and how I'm going to come out of it. And after days to think about it, I'm... I got to a point where I wasn't convinced that the diagnosis was on point. The whole idea of coping mechanisms being the issue, I'm not sure is on point. But I have to believe in what the uh, what the experts are telling me until further notice. And here's why I don't necessarily believe in it, is because all of this boils down to Why? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is this all for? And if I feel like shit all the time, what's the point? I've tried. I always put my best foot forward. And I feel like I fail over and over and over. And that all came to a head. On Wednesday. Wednesday night. Yeah. I didn't want to be seen. Caitlin always brings me my dinner because we're on keto and they hate me for it. They won't feed me right. (laughs) They just don't support it. Not enough science behind it, they say. So, I didn't, I don't know, treated Caitlin like shit. No, I just remember mom and I got there each night like we normally do, and it was the first time where you were really non-responsive. You kind of ate your dinner and just kind of got back under the covers, and I think you actually... I don't even think I looked at your mother. No. I think you kind of asked us to leave, like, hey, I'm just not feeling good. And so... And, like, just uh, tears me apart as as I, I talk with a little more clarity now. Caitlin's done so much for me always and I was just dismissive as like, you gotta go I can't be I don't want to be I was or I just want to be alone yeah but it's understandable yeah and at that point I was uh pretty sure them was gonna kill myself yeah. and to be honest with you I just wanted to be discharged so I could do it um, the nurse came in and they at, they constantly ask how you're doing. At least the good ones ask. I've had some nurses who don't really care. They hear, hear your pills. See ya. Yeah. Most of them care. Though. Yeah. And, uh, there was one nurse came in and said, how are you doing tonight? And I said, well, I want to kill myself. And she kind of freaked out, like just got a little panicky. Like, what really wasn't prepared for that answer. Um, obviously, as a registered nurse, but I'm concerned she doesn't have the proper training for a mental health ward again. 
because she kind of panicked. She said, okay, we're going to, she's like, are you going to harm yourself? I said, no, I tried to harm myself the day before I had, uh, I had just scratched myself on my wrists. Just, I don't know, to inflict pain to myself, I guess, or to see if I could draw blood. And I just, I have a, as I speak, I have just a, a, a small scratch and it hurts and I didn't like it. And I decided I don't really want to hurt myself. I just want to kill myself. I'm in enough pain. I don't need to hurt myself anymore. And uh, I had ripped the cap off of a bottle of soap, bottle of uh, body wash. Just as I was looking for something sharp just to see what it would do. That wasn't nearly sharp enough to do anything. Again, it might have left a red mark, and that was about it. And I, uh, I just decided I'm done. Get me out of here. I've had enough. Yeah. I don't want to live anymore. And I think about everything that I've been doing since just. Since January 31st, when I told my story through Bell Let's Talk, since I started this podcast, and I've had people reach out to tell me I'm doing a good thing, I've had people reach out to share their stories, and I've had people reach out to support me. And I felt like a hypocrite, and I was letting everybody down. And that's a story of my life in my own head. So let's get this over with. Mm. Thursday morning. Sorry, before we get to that, the nurse. Sorry, back to the nurse. I feel yeah, like I'm sidetracked. I'm, I'm darting all over the map here. If I can back up yep. just for a piece. So I had left with mom after half an hour because I knew you weren't doing good. And I told you I'd be back. And I came back two hours later, and you were in this state. Uh, well, I think you were already in this state the first time I came, but I didn't realize it. And that's when you told me, I don't want to be here. I took the the cap off my body wash, and I don't want you to be here. I just want to be alone. So I, had, I, I did say I was going to talk to the nurse on my way out and try to get you something to sleep, because you hadn't slept the night before. Because you had to run in with one of the patients that kind of made you nervous. So I knew you were running on no sleep and I was really hoping I could get you a night of sleep that might help with this. So I went out and talked to the nurse and I just, I didn't know if I was doing the right thing, but I did know that I was doing the right thing in the sense that I told her, you needed something to help you sleep. But I also told her, look, he took the cap off his body wash. And he tried to hurt himself. And that's why the nurse came in to talk to me about it. Yeah, yeah to backtrack. And so. she told me, well, in this case, we're not equipped for that. We might have to move him back to the COU, the Continuous Observation Unit. And I kind of panicked. I'm like, I don't know if that's going to be good. When I calm that myself. That wouldn't have mattered to me. No, and I'm like, no, that's the right thing. If they deem that that's the right thing. But at the t- same time, I'm scared. So I just want to say for anybody out there who's supporting somebody that's going through this, you have to do what you feel is right. And you need to do what's right and not easy. And As I said in another podcast... 
it goes along the same lines when I was talking about mental health first aid, you can't be scared to have an awkward conversation. Yeah. And that's in, in that instance, in the mental health first aid, that's referring to talking to that person directly. But at the same time, you can't be scared to have an awkward conversation with, uh, with a health professional Yeah. as well. Exactly. Yeah. So anyways, I had left at that point and then the nurse came in to talk to you and they had taken some of your stuff away that night. Yeah. So if I can jump back in here. She asked me what was going on. I said, well, I've decided I'm going to kill myself. And I was calm about it. Mm. I was like, this is it. I came in here to get help. And I think I'm a lost cause. That my issue isn't with the coping. It's with the why. Going back to that conversation with my psychologist about why is life so important and why is it so precious we all say life is precious but why is it precious and i don't i i struggle with that and this might be this is going to be a tough thing for anybody that i'm close with to hear because it's not an easy thing to hear but this is how i feel so that night, she took my body wash because I still had one bottle that had the cap intact. I said, she said, are you going to harm yourself? I said, no, I'm not. I think I already ta- touched on that. So, But she was like taking all precautions. We're taking your, uh, your body wash. We're taking your, all your cords. So I had a cord charging my phone and I had like my earbuds. And I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with those, but sure, you can take them. So we took them and we went to a locker and put them in a locker in storage and locked everything up. And then I didn't get any sleep that night. No, the drugs didn't knock you out that night. Nope. I was in and out. I believe it was the night before that I was kind of agitated by another patient. Yeah. Then this night I didn't sleep I don't, my mind's racing, I guess. I was like trying, I was basically going through why, why should I continue? I didn't have any answers for myself. So, Thursday morning, more of the same. You brought me breakfast. Yeah, and you were in the same state that I left you in the night before, or if not worse. And I was in and out of calmness and bawling. To comment, it was like two extremes. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, and I'm sorry. But you're I, still eating and taking your drugs, which gave me some hope. Yeah, but again, it's like I was doing all of that because I said I've been in enough pain. Yeah, I don't want any more pain. Yeah, I just want to die. So don't worry about self harm. I'm not gonna hurt myself. That part, like I'm just gonna kind of skip in the. The self-harm part. I don't see the point in it. Anyway, I think I asked you to leave again. The psychiatrist had come in. Right. Psychiatrist came in. Dr. V comes in and he says, what's going on? I said, well, I'm going to kill myself. And, you know, tried to talk to me and I just was fairly unresponsive. Mm -hmm. And he said it in a nice way. But the gist was, you need to change your attitude or we can't help you. And my thought on that was, well, I don't, 
he didn't say change your attitude. It's just that was kind of the message. Yeah, we need you to want help is essentially kind of what and I said. I said, well, I don't want help, so I guess we're done. It was my thought on it. He leaves, and then a social worker comes in. I think, I'm not even entirely sure what this point of the social worker was. I was had to explain what the day program yeah, was going to be. Yeah, she was introducing the day program to us. Yeah. And I basically shut her down and was like, I don't know what the point is to you telling me all this. I'm not even going to go through it. And she was, I guess, you know, what's the problem? I said, well, I'm going to kill myself. And she basically, in the nicest way possible, in not so many words, but basically said the same thing as Dr. V and said, well, we can't help you if you can't help yourself. And I was like, perfect. I'm not going to help myself. Well, I am going to help myself, but it's not in the way you want me to. And I was just a mess. Um, I think I asked you to leave. Yeah, you asked me to leave several times, but I said, I'm, I'm going to go get you lunch. I'm going to go get you... Well, yeah, he went and bought me lunch, and I didn't want that. And then you went and got me something else, and I ate that. And then, then I asked you to leave, I believe. Yeah. I'm sorry if I'm not... My Your mind's spotty. I'm so messed up. There no, was... my mood did not change until, like, dinner time. Yeah, supper time. Yeah. Yeah, well, I noticed, like... Before I went to get you lunch, you were extremely agitated. So, with me. okay. Yeah. You, I was very upset and sure of myself that this is how my life was going to end. I actually deactivated my Facebook, shut down my messenger, and then deleted, I, I deleted Twitter and LinkedIn and I deactivated Snapchat. Any form of social media I had. I at least got it off my phone. I was sick and tired of looking at it. And I thought, when I die, I don't want that right on someone's wall who's dead. Like, they're going to read it thing. And I was just like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm not going through that. This is this is the level it got to. And I know this is hard to hear, but I think it's important. I, uh... I gave up. I was done. Yeah. I was absolutely done. And I cannot express to you in any more certain terms how sure I was of it. Yeah. I got a call from my brother who, you know, has, doesn't have any training, doesn't know how to handle this either. But he just kept saying, you're going to get through this. You're going to get through this. And through that whole conversation, I was still sure of myself. That this is all over. It's a matter of time. Called my dad after that because he had called me while I was talking to my brother. His tone was along the same lines. But in that moment, my mind hadn't changed. Between those phone calls and Caitlin bringing me some dinner, my mood just shifted a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say I'm out of the woods. 
But I just kind of came out of it a little bit, and I cannot explain why. All I can think of is that it was the reassurance I got specifically from my brother, but also from my dad, that we're going to get through this. And, uh... The Wellbutrin dose had been doubled for a couple days at that point, too. It might have helped a little. Who knows? But... I went from I am certain I'm killing myself in the morning to last evening. You and I were playing cards. Yeah. Hasbro can still go to hell. <laughs> um, You're talking about the future? Talked about the future a little bit. I started talking about, you know, what's my career going to look like? Do I keep on the same path I'm on? Do I try to, you know, do I keep trying to work in a mental health capacity or at least a not-for-profit capacity do i make a shift do i try to become something of a peer support worker you know along the lines of this podcast but on a more one-to-one approach with people who need it because what i needed in that moment when i told the psychiatrist and the social worker that i was going to kill myself what i needed was somebody to be there who'd been through it to say I know exactly what you're feeling. And it's going to be okay. You got to ride it out. That's kind of what my brother did. Anyway. Kind of came out of it. Last night. Felt a little better this morning. I'm feeling a little bit better as the day's gone on. Met with that same confidant that I mentioned previously. Today, they came in for a visit. We talked about, you know, what kind of career paths I could take if I wanted to pursue something new. You know, just see what's out there. You know, what's what's the potential here? If I take a certain course, this, that, the other thing, because... Talking about whatever. And uh, also met with the peer support worker that's actually at the hospital this morning. And again, just that meeting around, this is somebody who has been where I am. And look at them now. They're doing fine. They're doing great. They have purpose in life. They have meaning in their life. They help others. And that's what it's all about. And I guess just this whole combination has made it a much better day today. I told Caitlin last night when I felt a little bit better, I said, we're going to podcast tomorrow. I need to tell people how I felt while it's still raw. And I don't know, maybe if I if I go back to that, I can come back and listen to this. Mm. I don't know. Maybe this helps myself. I like that idea. But uh, this is what I meant when I said this one was going to be heavy. The thoughts are still very real. I don't know if I have... I don't know if I still feel like I have a lot of hope. But I have the strength to keep going for now. I didn't have that yesterday morning. I didn't have that Wednesday night. 
and it's it's a really difficult thing to talk about but I know that I'm not the only one who's ever felt that way and if somebody else can just hear this and think me too we're not alone and maybe together we can get through it then that's what this is all about anything else? Just say I love you, and you're a super strong person. That's tough to hear right now. I know it is. That's why I'm saying it. I'm going to end this on a higher note. My dad pays for the hosting for this podcast. (laughs) So, Diggy's Meats gets an ad. It's my dad's business. Hasbro can go to hell. We'll have a new podcast for you soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you.